This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where company founders, entrepreneurs, and cutting-edge thinkers drop in from around the globe to share startup stories, insider insights, and hard-earned success lessons. Now, here's your host, a woman who mastered business by placing heels on the ground all over the world, having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, and who wants you to build your best business future, Allison K. Summers. Well, hey, thanks for taking time to be with us today at Disruptive CEO Nation. My name is Allison Kay, and I am clearly getting over a call today. But in business, nothing slows you down, and we've got a fantastic guest for you. His specialty is launching startup companies in the technology space and raising equity. And, and also what I love in his bio is he has insights into developing your first 50 million in sales. I think everybody needs a best friend that can do that for us. So I would love to introduce Robert Call, who's the founder and CEO of Cloud DX, which is so cool in the health space. So Robert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Allison. Happy to be here. So tell everybody what Cloud DX is and what it does, because I, I really love this. Thank you so much. Yeah, no, Cloud DX is a disruptor and an emerging leader in virtual care and digital medicine. I think we're all getting more and more familiar with the idea of seeing our doctor on Zoom or on our smartphone instead mm -hmm. of actually going to see our doctor in person. And what we're doing is we're taking that whole concept to the next level by adding technology that allows people to monitor their vital signs in the comfort of their home and to actually receive care remotely, almost as if they were in the hospital using tools and techniques we developed ourselves, but also aggregating other tools and tech and, and products from around the world in a platform that links patients at home to their caregivers, to their doctors and nurses uh, for a number of different, very important use cases. So, and if I understand right now, and you've got about 19 different health conditions that you all can monitor from home, monitor remotely? Well, we like to think in terms of use cases. So when you think about um, the biggest, what we would call challenges in the healthcare space, actually the number one challenge all over the world is chronic illness. Mm -hmm. More folks who have chronic illness uh, need care every day. There's a, an interesting stat that we refer to that one in three adults has more than one chronic condition in the world. This is one of the largest cost items in all healthcare budgets, whether you're in the developing world or you're in Europe and North America. And, and so caring for folks with chronic illness, where you, you literally don't have to go to the doctor physically every day, is a huge part of our business. We're also very focused on people recovering from surgery. I think we're all familiar. If you've ever had surgery, you've been to the hospital, you know someone who's had surgery, they get great care in the hospital. Hospital care for post-surgical patients is wonderful. And then you get discharged and you go home and you may not see your doctor for 30 days. And you're kind of entirely on your own at that point. And up to 30% of patients who go home after surgery have some kind of complication 
uh, and 3% of them actually die from that complication, which is an unnecessarily high number. So we're using virtual care to improve the post-surgical experience by actually giving you care in your home that's similar to what nurses can do for you in the hospital. And so those are the big areas we're focused on. We're also you know, addressing some uh, problems or challenges that are a little bit more focused. For example, um, pregnancies. 20% of some uh, pregnancies have the possibility of maternal hypertension or maternal uh, gestational diabetes, which can at some point uh, possibly harm the baby. And remote monitoring can help catch things early and make it easier for mom to actually get care before it gets so serious that um, you know something's gonna something bad's gonna happen. So we consider that a very important uh, part of our, our mission as well. Well, Robert, I love, love what you're doing because I am a parent of a child who has two different chronic illnesses and um, that includes infusion centers and, and going to specialists. And I, you just think of the, the time. I mean, not only just the healthcare concern, but the time it takes for to disrupt everybody's lives to go get to the medical center in downtown Chicago or, or wherever it is that you go and that you sit there. I mean, it's just hours and hours. And like you said, also the costs. So again, I love, love what CloudDX is doing. Let's roll back because I, there was a lot that you've done. Um, you have a 17 year track record of leading early stage technology companies. Give us just a little insight to your background and how that rolled into founding CloudDX. Well, I was very fortunate back in the early 2000s to be offered an opportunity to move from Canada to the United States uh, to represent a, a technology company in an interesting space that it was a building technology. And the, the company was producing markings uh, that actually glow in the dark really brightly and help people escape from buildings during a fire or a disaster. Um, that had been uh, highlighted during actually uh, the 9-11 event because the World Trade Center had a primitive version of, some, of that technology that saved thousands and thousands of lives because people could actually see in the stairwells even though there was no power. And New York City had mandated that technology be deployed across all office buildings in New York City. Well, this little Canadian company had the very best of that technology in the world. Their technology was on the space station, still is on the space station. It was deployed all throughout the Pentagon, and they needed someone to come to New York City to represent them, and I, and I, and I took that contract. And then that rolled out for a couple of years. And then once all the buildings were done, um, I moved on to a different technology, which was fire suppression technology, kind of related. So now uh, not, not building technology, but uh, being able to use very high tech uh, techniques to put out fires. So a life safety use case. And then uh, through the people I met in that journey, I sort of developed a, a consulting practice to bring Canadian technologies to the United States. And then in 20, let's everybody get a hands up shout to bring Canadian technology. <laughs> That's to right. the US. <laughs> lots of, lots of cool tech gets developed up in Canada. So I, um, I was introduced to a Toronto company that had invented this device. It was a whole new way of measuring blood pressure. It used very advanced computer technology to actually take a signal from the body and analyze it using algorithms and derive all kinds of interesting metrics from it. And it was just emerging. And I was actually able to, uh, to begin to work with that in the United States. And then later I actually joined that company. I became the CEO of that company. And after that, we carved out a division of that company, my partners and I, and we founded the current CloudDX uh, based on that technology. So I've actually been doing this now for about 10 years even though CloudDX itself is only seven years old. Our technology has over a 10 year track record. And I was able to, uh, to really now 
kind of grow that in a very exciting way as the world gets more and more used to using technology outside of the hospital. Okay, so I have to ask you a question. We talk about disruption and we know these major industries that have a set way of doing things, particularly a set way to earn money. Um, do you see that there are, is, is pushback and barriers from major healthcare systems to want to adopt your type of care or is it something that is organically easy to disrupt the marketplace? No, there's no question that the, the healthcare industry is very conservative. Change happens very slowly in the world of healthcare. Some of the techniques that are used in healthcare have been around for 100 years and haven't changed. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's challenging to make changes. The flip side of that coin, for those of you who are starting out, is that if you can, in fact, gain that market access, often that means you now have a competitive advantage because... Uh, it's challenging to also change you. So, so the, you build a bit of a moat around your business by becoming the incumbent. But starting in 2015 in the United States, virtual care began to be reimbursed by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, specifically for chronic disease management at the very beginning. That was growing slowly from 2015 to 2019. More and more conditions were being added to the monitoring uh, reimbursement codes. And private insurance companies, in addition to Medicare and Medicaid, were starting to look at reimbursing for specific use cases. And then, of course, in March of 2020, everything changed. And because of the COVID-19 pandemic, now suddenly you couldn't go to the hospital, doctor's offices couldn't see you face-to-face. -face. You had to have virtual care as your, as your only option. Virtual care went from 3 to 4% of all uh, doctor visits to 85% of all doctor visits in a month, in the month of yeah, April. Yeah, overnight. Overnight. And so suddenly everything changed. And what that meant was, first of all, that the insurance companies and Medicare and Medicaid services, they just started reimbursing virtual visits at the same rate as in-person visits. So we've been part of a giant experiment for 18 months now to see whether that actually uh, is efficacious, whether the outcomes are similar, and whether that should continue even after the public health emergency is finally ended, whenever that might be, because it's nowhere near right now. So that changed everything for our business, of course, and now we were in a position to deliver care uh, across all, all 50 states. We were able to make um, contracts all across Canada. We became the most deployed virtual care solution in Canada as the Canadian sort of champion. But we've really focused a lot on our American customers in the last few years. We live, uh, you know, we have an office here in New York City, rather. I personally live in New York. Uh, and so, you know, we have a lot of plans and a lot of growth potential in the U.S. market, which, of course, is much bigger than the Canadian market as well. Well, what's your marketing strategy? What is, what, how are people finding you? So the, the type of virtual care that we augment and that we work with is not something that consumers just purchase on their own. They are, it's prescribed to you by your doctor. So your doctor will decide that they want to, to monitor you from home for various different reasons, either because of the type of surgery you've mm -hmm. just had. Sometimes it's actually because you are, are, are COVID positive. You have COVID and you're not sick enough yet to go to hospital, but I want to make sure that if you deteriorate, that they catch that early. Because uh, very sadly, during the early stages of the pandemic, many thousands of people died at home because they just went downhill so fast that no one could get to them in time. So we have something called a virtual COVID outpatient program that's deployed all over the place that, that helps folks who are who are have you know who actually have COVID. And you know, again, um, even though we're we're all the way down the road here. Uh, COVID cases in the United States are continuing at over 100,000 cases a day, over 2,000 people as of today, today's date are dying every day. And so it's still a crisis. There's no question. It's still a crisis, um, uh, notwithstanding the fact that the vaccines are available. So 
the uh, the doctor prescribes it to you. You don't have to. Um, and in general, you don't have to pay for it as a patient. Depending on your coverage and whether you're Medicare or Medicare Advantage, there might be small copay. But in general, this is something prescribed to you. It's paid for. You just go ahead and use it. In the meantime, physicians are compensated for actually using the technology and interpreting the data. So those reimbursement codes and billing codes don't just pay for the technology, which is the good part for us. They also pay the physicians for their interpretation and for their management of your condition remotely. So it's a way for the you know, physician to be compensated. And that's a, a, a huge part of the, the rollout strategy. So we're marketing directly to the clinicians yeah. and to the hospitals. That's our market. Yeah. So Robert, you very much have a brand that is built around a very critical mission. And I know from having spoken with you that um, you you speak a lot about values and team values. Can you tell us a little bit about Cloud DX's values as a company? I sure can. And we're very proud of the fact that, you know, our mission is, as it says on our website, is to make healthcare better for everyone. And when we get a chance to talk about that, you know, there's three or four key words in that mission we like to focus on. So first of all, it, how do we make healthcare better? How do we make something better? And in our case, it's because we can create technology that's easy to use both for patients and clinicians. We create automated steps in the care process that saves everyone enormous amounts of time. So delivering care virtually is more efficient than uh, doing it the old-fashioned way, face-to-face. And that efficiency means that a group of clinicians can actually care for the same number, uh, many more patients rather, with the same number of, of staff, essentially. So, you know, that ease of use, that uh, ability to roll technology out to larger and larger groups of people, because virtually everyone has access to a smartphone today, that's kind of what we're talking about. When we say we make it better, uh, it is that ease of use, it is that impact on outcomes and uh, making healthcare outcomes. Uh, more positive for patients. So we can define better a number of different ways. And then what do we mean by everyone? And this is a very important point because in uh, the healthcare space, there's something called the quadruple aim. And this was an idea that was uh, really brought forward in the early uh, 2010s, but it was a simple filter to allow you to understand what it would take to get a product to market. And this is now speaking to all those uh, health tech entrepreneurs out Mm -hmm. there. The quadruple aim basically says that in order for a healthcare technology to really be compelling and to really gain scale, it has to be good for patients. So it has to be better than the standard of care or better than status quo for patients. It also has to be good for clinicians. If it's harder for the clinician to use, it's not going to fly. It has to streamline workflow. It has to make life easier for the clinicians. It has to have a positive impact on society. So... If it's so super specialized that overall it doesn't improve outcomes for large, large groups of people, you still can have a hard time getting the payers to pay for it in the hospitals to adopt it. And then overall, it has to be less expensive than the current delivery of care model. So that's an enormously high bar to reach, if you can imagine. It is, yeah. Uh, But if you can package your technology in a way that meets all four parts of the virtual, uh, sorry, the uh, quadruple aim, then you have a winner on your hands and you will be able to make those uh, presentations. Those doors will be open to you and, and slowly, but surely uh, your, your technology will be adopted because it works. It makes healthcare better for everyone. And that's our focus. So uh, this is really where we're coming from. And from the business point of view, other key values we have are compassion. You know, we're not just in this for the money. 
what gets us out of bed every morning is that we're changing lives, we're changing outcomes, we're helping uh, moms who have uh, risk factors for preeclampsia, we're helping them make sure that their pregnancy is safe, we're helping older folks who have COPD or CHF stay out of the hospital, stay away from those hospital-acquired infections, stay at home as long as possible, we're helping clinicians care for more people with the same budget, which is a, a, a important for their mission. And so compassion, uh, resourcefulness, and persistence are very, very powerful values at CloudDX. And, and um, we're very proud of our team for that reason. So give me a little example of, of scale up, because you said CloudDX has been going for, for seven years. And, um, you know, so, so where are you in scale now? Um, and how has it looked for you over that period? When you think about the, the journey of a startup company to the point of scale, you know, one of the most important terms you hear about is the concept of product market fit. In other words, sort of how do you find that market that embraces your product? And how do you know you found it? That's part of the <laughs> challenge, right? How do you know that? And there's two real ways to know that. One is that suddenly people start um, purchasing your product. So in other words, the phone starts to ring. Uh, and the second is in the form of testimonials and in the form of recommendations and in the form of um, net promoter scores and other hard metrics that your technology is being adopted at a greater and greater rate. And I won't, you know, of course, we'll, we'll emphasize that the pandemic uh, starting in 2020 had a huge impact on all the virtual care companies out there because we went from something that was obviously very, very powerful and, and the way of the future to suddenly the way of now, like we yeah. need it now. We're just not messing around anymore. Like get it now. And of course the phone did start to ring and then we did start to get deployed. But once you have that momentum now, of course, now you want to make it better. You want to improve your delivery. You want to improve your customer service. You want to continue to improve those metrics so that even when the urgency of the pandemic goes away, now, again, you know, you have those reference clients you are embedded in healthcare systems. They're using you for more and more use cases. And so then, of course, the, 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 the final step and something that we're embracing at CloudDX is now approaching patients and educating patients as well. We made an announcement um, as the company back about two weeks ago. We have a, a relationship and a contract going forward to directly um, uh, inform and educate chronic disease patients in the United States who qualify for reimbursement, who may not know that virtual care is an option for them, and to go ahead and to find those folks, to uh, identify them, and then to enable them to go to their clinician and to ask for virtual care and ask for remote patient monitoring, or if, they're if they don't have a doctor or if their doctor doesn't do that kind of work, then to match them with a doctor who will do that work as a specialist and make sure they get the care they need. So um, that's what we call patient first, remote patient monitoring. We're very proud of that idea. And it's something that we're launching this year and that we hope to really um, accelerate in the next 12 to 18 months. So are all of your staff, your teams that you've built up, are they all between New York and Canada or do you have uh, experts and staff all over the place? Um, our, our staff and our team is entirely North American based. So we don't currently have any staff overseas outside of North America. Um, the majority of our team is in Canada. Um, it's based in Kitchener-Waterloo, which is an area outside of Toronto that's considered the sort of Silicon Valley north. Mm -hmm. That's where all pioneering work in AI has been done over the last 15 years. And a lot of um, famous companies come from that area, uh, one being BlackBerry, uh, another being, um, uh, well, Shopify was basically Ottawa, but they have a big presence there also. So it's a wonderful tech corridor. And so our technologists are all based there in our technology center, but we have 
operations and sales staff all over North America from the West coast of Canada uh, to the East coast of Canada. And then all through the United States, we have sales staff. Robert, you've got this big staff. You've had this great scale up. And um, as you said, you're not the future anymore. You're the now, but let's talk about being an entrepreneur and a business builder. You know, any of wisdom or advice you have for anybody listening today um, when they're faced with this monumental task of building their mission? Well, you know, every entrepreneur's journey is different. Um, And I think that although, of course, there's similarities in the sense that we all need to raise money, we all need to raise capital, we need to deploy that capital, find our first customers, build that market, find a point of scale or an inflection point that allows us to grow. And then, you know, uh, we're always thinking about the exit. So does that mean our exit is to be acquired by somebody? Is our exit to uh, become a public company? Those are the two common ones. Uh, Is the exit just to keep growing until you get so big that you can just buy other companies and, and so on. There's many, many different ideas. And, you know, you hear lots of things that non entrepreneurs say, Why would you want to do all this? Why don't you just get a job that's stable? You have to thrive a little bit on the instability. But what I found in my career is that entrepreneurs, and I was certainly guilty of this myself, sometimes take the whole world on your shoulders. You just think that this is all up to you. It's your idea. And if it fails, you've failed. And if it succeeds in some future date, that's going to validate everything. And it's complicated to, to untie the idea from yourself. My solution to that challenge is to team up. If you don't have a co-founder, think real hard about finding a co-founder. When it comes to those early investors that you bring on board, they can't just be money. It has to be mentorship. It has to be sounding board. It has to be somebody who's been down the road ahead of you. And I've been very fortunate to have that in my journey where I've had fantastic business people and fantastic entrepreneurs who've invested in me and invested in our team, but have also been there for me as as that teacher and as that person who said, you know what, I've seen what you're seeing, I've been there and you'll get through it. There's a way out. You know, those challenges need to become not just your problem. Uh, Make those challenges someone else's problem too, and then solve it as a team. And if you can do that, you'll be shocked at how manageable things become. So, uh, you know, if I could teach a little masterclass on growing a company, it would be surround yourself with those people that you trust, who trust you, who believe in your vision and who can, you know, can get their arms around every challenge that comes along with you and find a way to solve them. Well, thank you for that. But see, now I have to ask another question to close this out because we said at the beginning that, um, you know, you're an expert at, at working with startups and with raising money, both in investors, but also in, in developing that first, you know, millions of sales. But specific to um, investors, if you had to pick two or three things that were the secret sauce to a great pitch and attracting the investor that you want, what would be part of your secret sauce? That's a great question, too. I'm not (laughs) sure if there is a secret sauce. If there was, I would bottle it and I'd be a billionaire already. (laughs) I think that um, there's two parts to that answer. The first part is that you need to be listening, 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 because the vast majority of people you pitch your investment to will say no. They might be saying no, not now, but maybe later. They might be saying no, not ever 
don't ever talk to me again. Um, they might just be saying no, because it's just not, you're not in their sweet spot. You're not what they do. And lots of investors specialize. And so there's many, many, many masterclasses you can take on how to pitch investors. I won't pretend to teach one this, at this minute, but I found what really worked for us is to find those networks of folks who understand your mission and understand the problem you're trying to solve. And uh, if they're successful of people, if they're successful as, um, as business people or as professionals, two things may happen. They may become your first customers and those reference customers are absolutely priceless because if mm -hmm. you can get someone who's a, a very serious professional person or a serious business person to take, you know, to take you on and be your launch customer, you are halfway home. So that's the first thing. The second thing is they all have networks and successful people know other successful people. And many, many successful people are always looking for something to invest in that's a little risky, uh, not their massive whole portfolio, but their, their risk dollars. You know, most serious investors have a percentage of the portfolio they reserve for crazy ideas that might pay off uh, long term. You want to tap into that group. And if you keep hearing no, 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 try to find out why. Why are they saying no? Like, what exactly is it that's not resonating? And if it's because uh, it is, you know, in this case, your, your, your product doesn't seem to solve a problem that these folks understand maybe pick different people to talk to who understand the problem. If the problem is that the folks you're talking to uh, don't necessarily believe you can pull off what you're trying to pull off, then you got to work on that problem. So again, that comes down to finding that team, finding that launch customer, finding that group who can validate your tech, can validate your idea and give that investor confidence that someone's going to buy this one day. You know, we can take every single case of any single idea and we can look at it and we can say, okay, whose problem are we solving? Will that person purchase? Will that person pre-purchase? Will that person loan you money to make it for them? And who does that person know who either has the same problem or is looking for a great investment? Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, there's, there's no wrong or right answer. I really do like the advice about listening um, because I think there's so much pressure when any business meeting you walk into, whether it's sales, whether it's investment pitching, there's so much pressure that we put on ourselves that we're not reading the room. We're not listening to the signals because like you said, somebody might say, no, it's not their cup of tea, but if, if their interest is still peaked, um, you know, like you said, they've got power networks. They can refer you yeah. someplace else. There's so many things, but I love the advice about listening. And, you know, be polite, you know, ask nicely, say, listen, would you mind helping me understand a little bit more about what you see or don't see here so I can make this pitch better for the next person? You know, you're right. You put your personality in the line and no one likes to take rejection. Everyone uh, in, our, in our whole life, we're all trained that, you know, to be, to, to not bother people and to be, uh, to be discreet and to not, you know, you know, don't, don't speak out loud and don't ask. You sometimes have to ask for what you want. And if you don't get it, keep asking, ask why. Be that little five-year-old who's tugging at the arm of, of, of her dad saying, dad, why, 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 why is the sky blue? Why, why is, why can't I have candy? Why? Kids know this, right? Kids know that they, they're going to get, they get what they want because they just keep asking, why can't I have it? Yeah. So sooner or later you go, you know what? You're right. I can't think of a single reason why you can't have it. So here you go. <laughs> it's shocking how powerful that idea is when you deploy it in business. Well, Robert, our time is up, but before we go, I like to ask my guests, if we talk to you again, two, three years down the road, what's the vision? Um, where, where is CloudDX? Where are you personally? 
Well, our plan and our goal is that CloudDX is now at the point of scale. Uh, we're a public company now. Uh, we have access to hundreds of thousands of customers as we've recently announced. And so now our, our, you know, our goal is to execute on that plan. And um, if you came back and talked to me a year or two or three years from now, we hope that we're the household name. We hope that we're the Kleenex of the virtual <laughs> care business. And so when you think of virtual care, some portion of the virtual care you're receiving is delivered using CloudDX technology. That's our goal. Well, thank you. Okay, if people want to learn more, connect with you, where can they go? I'm on LinkedIn um, or www.clouddx.com. Thank you so much. Um, For our listeners, if Robert said something that you think somebody else needs to hear, pass along a link to this episode. Also, um, I want to remind everybody, if you haven't picked up my copy of my book, Building Your Brand, Make Business Happen in a Global Economy, It has wonderful case studies, just like Robert has shared with us today. So again, keep your eye on the future. Always be disruptive. Robert, have a great day. And thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. Thank you, Allison. I really appreciate the time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.